0: I'm so happy to be able to be with you today. Uh, I'm excited about about this topic because the Bible has a lot to say about us being together. And if you're online and and you're online because you can't be here, let me encourage you. God loves you and he's with you. But there is something special about being in the presence of other believers as we are in the presence of God. And so I'm excited because we're going to start talking about that. You know, I think that, that this season of life has been a uniquely challenging one, and, and for many of us, has raised the question why, why do we do this? I mean, many of us are now doing remote work. We're not going into the office, we're not going down to DC. We're doing stuff from our, uh, our closet. We've got, we've got subscriptions to Zoom, we, we've got a nice backdrop and, and great, crisp shirts that we wear. Because we don't have to be in the presence of other people. Maybe, maybe you're, you're new to coming to church and, and you've been invited and, and someone tricked you and said it was going to be a party, and but you're here. Uh, it is a party of a different sort. Um, but, but maybe, maybe you, know, you know some people, you're here, so you're, you're kind of part of the... The chorus, as I would say, but, but maybe if you're online or you know someone, you've had these, these kinds of conversations where they just stopped going to church, and, and they ask the question, why do I even need to go? I stopped going because of COVID. We couldn't go. And now, you know, every Sunday, I just pick the next greatest church that I want to listen to, and I, and I, I tune in, and it's, it's great, and, and I love it. Why, why do we gather? Why do we gather? That's the question that we want to consider today. Um, and my, my hope is that we'll see that, that God is building something uniquely when we gather. So I'm going to read out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And do we ha- if we've got the scriptures, we do this in Sterling, so I've got the mic. Everyone stand up. We're going to read this together. It's a great way to start. We're going to read the Word of God together as we talk about being together, together. All right. Uh, first Peter chapter two verses four and five. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for. Your word. We thank you for your goodness to us and we thank you for just how you are doing something in our midst. That even something that feels so ordinary as just sitting in a chair listening to a guy on the stage or or standing and singing songs together that that you by your spirit are doing something uniquely in that moment. God, I thank you that you use ordinary means To bring about extraordinary results. That you take the word preached and sung and prayed. And you impress it upon our hearts in such a way that we become new people. And we do so in the presence of other new people. So God, would you be with us right now? Holy Spirit, would you be with us right now? As we consider together your word. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, yes, please be seated. Thank you. No, we're just going to stand up for the rest of the service. <laughs> so, just some, uh, some quick overview. Peter is writing to a number of different churches. If you were to look in your Bible, probably at the beginning it will tell you a little bit about it. But he says in, in chapter 1, verse 1, you know, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the leader, a messenger of Jesus Christ, to those elect exiles, to those Christians, in the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, etc., and so forth. He's, he's writing to some Christians who have been dispersed, and why have they been dispersed? In part, because there's been persecution. Now, we don't think this is necessarily, it may be, but not necessarily official persecution, from the Roman Empire, but but things are certainly starting to to work their ways, and there's opposition working its way into these communities where Christians are living, and so maybe they're being uh, shut out because of their faith in their work. In, in the Roman Empire, it was this: you either believed in and worshipped the, Ro- the Roman pantheon, or you ran into some problems. And so he's writing to some Christians who have very good reason to maybe just go home. They have really good reason to, to maybe just be quiet. They have really good reason to, to maybe just not share their faith at work on Thursday. And nowhere in this letter does he say, don't gather together. Nowhere in this letter where these Christians are being persecuted, they're going through trials by fire and experiencing pain and suffering, does he say, you know what, guys? It's really hard, just go home. It's really hard, just assimilate. It's really hard, don't worry about it. No, he goes and he encourages them. Set your heart on the hope of Jesus Christ. Look to the eternal promises that God has given you. Keep pressing. And then in chapter two, he starts to tell us about what God is doing in our midst. He says in chapter two, verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is this rejected stone. It it, it had been spoken of in the Old Testament that there would be one who would come, a, a stone that the builders would be rejected, would become the cornerstone upon which God would build his people. Jesus is that cornerstone and he says, as you come to him, and I wanted to pause there. That phrase, as you come to him, it's a, it's a preposition, but suffice it to say, it's plural. It's not you, Eddie, as you singularly come to him. It's plural because he's saying to the group, he's saying to us, as you come to him, dot, 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 Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and this idea of a corporate faith, a, a group dynamic, is, is found throughout Scripture. I'm just going to go through the whole Bible. Now, I'm going to go through a few texts that will, will get us there. I thought about it, guys. I considered it. Um, we can do it. Pastor AG will kick me out, but that's okay. Um, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God has he's created everything. It's the sixth day. We're, we're zooming in on, on Adam, and it says this, chapter 2, verse uh, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a him, make for him a helper. Well, make a, make a helper fit for him. Okay, so everything was good. It was all good. The plants were good, the trees were good, the animals were good, the, the sun, the sky, uh, the, the, the planets, the, the orientations of, of all the, the heavenly bodies were good, except for this guy who was alone. He was alone. See, being alone is not in God's nature. Before creation, God wasn't alone. When God was alone, He wasn't alone. He had Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect community. And so He sees this guy, this knucklehead Adam, soon to be knucklehead. He says, You know what? Mm, you're alone, and that's not good. And any married man who's been alone for a weekend knows this. He, he was probably eating some sort of microwave. Um, hot pocket Single serve meal for one Watching TV You know in his boxer shorts Or you know basketball shorts And God just looks at him and says you're pitiful We need to get you, we need to get you a wife And so First thing happens He creates Eve, they come together We have family, we have community We have organization And, and you might think well yeah but that's not church No but that was the place where God was dwelling those were the people that God was communing with. It says that, that God was walking with them, talking to them. That was the intention of God. We see even in Genesis that there was a corporate faith. It's, it goes on and some bad things happen. Uh, then we get to, to Abraham in, in, in chapter 12. And, and God plucks him out of pagan worship. We believe he maybe worshipped the moon. We're not exactly sure, but um, he wasn't worshiping God. In chapter 12, he calls him out. And in verse 2, he says this, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. He goes on, God goes on to, to further expound and talk about how he's going to have a bunch of children, more, more than the, you know, the stars in the sky. He, he's going to be a big deal. And, and what does he say? I'm going to make you a what? Nation. God's, it's time to water the grass. God was going to make him a great nation nation he was going to have a corporate identity if we keep going in exodus we see that that abraham isaac jacob they have these people they have all the children they go uh and 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 joseph is sold into slavery um and he saves his people they live in the land of goshen they they make lots of babies and they they expand and expand and expand and eventually the egyptians look at them and say we got to do something about these israelites they, they oppress them, they make them work hard, and so the people cry out. And in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23, we hear that the people of God are crying out to their God. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 says this, During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered what? His covenant with Abraham, that they would be my people. Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He knew their pain. And and what's interesting is it was the pain of the people together. He recognized the pain of the people together. We're going to keep going. Uh, I'm going to skip through. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see that God establishes a kingdom in David. Right? He, he doesn't just establish, you know, uh, I'm going to have this leader, a guy. No, he's going to establish a kingdom. And, and a kingdom implies people over whom he will rule. And, and a, a reigning area, a place for rulership. And, and God is establishing more than just individuals. He's Establishing people who relate to him. Not persons, but people who relate to him. In the New Testament, the vast majority of the the New Testament letters are written to what? To churches, to peoples, to groups. And we see that that Paul writes to the church in Galatia, to the church in Colossae, to the church in Philippi, to the church in Rome. There are some that he writes to individuals, but we believe uh, and we, we know from church history that, that those letters were probably still read in the church. So even if it was a letter to Timothy, Timothy very likely read that letter to the church because the church needed to hear the word of God. And then we to to, to finish up this part, we see in Matthew chapter six, you know, the disciples say, Can you teach us to pray? How how can I best relate to God? Have you ever asked that question? How best can I relate to God? What prayers, Pastor AJ, what prayers, Pastor Brett, should I pray to connect me with God? How does Jesus respond? He says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What? Give us this day our daily bread. He he says the way that you need to pray is in conscious, intentional awareness that you are part of a larger body. How many of us pray like that? God, help me. I'm dying. I don't care about the other people. Help me. That's just me? No. Amen. Thank you, JC. Our Father." So he says, "Our Father." You know, um, well we'll keep going. In, in, in verse four, it says, "As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious," then he goes on in verse five, "You yourselves, like living stones, are building, being built up into a spiritual house. We are together because God is building us into something. And again, what is he building? You know what he's not building? It's like a little sand pebble uh, garden with a thousand little baby pebbles. And look at this little individual pebble. It's beautiful. I wrote my name on it. And this pebble's over here. It's got a date on it. And and not not to say that you aren't a sweet and wonderful uh, individual person. You are, but you are a sweet and, and wonderful individual person who's intended to be part of a larger body that is greater than yourself. God is building us into something. And and family, the way we understand that in light of of gathering together is not just that, oh, well, yeah, I'm connected in some sort of ethereal, you know, he's a Christian, she's a Christian, I'm a Christian, we're connected. Mm. No, when we gather together, we express, we manifest, we present the invisible, universal all of Christians of all time body in this moment. When we're together, there's a sense in which all Christians are together because God is here and his people are here. Now that's not, it's not magic. You know, it's not ghosts. But there's something unique and special about you guys being here and me being here and us being here. He says that we are a spiritual house. Again, if we were to go back to Genesis, what was God establishing in Eden but a place, a nexus where his presence could be felt? It was, it was an intersection between heaven and earth where the people of God could interact with God together. The, the tabernacle was a place where the people of God could interact with God together. The temple was a place where the people of God could interact with God together. Jesus was the person who could come so that we could come and interact with God, be with God, be united to God, be justified before God, sanctified with God together. He says that we're a spiritual house and he goes on finally to say that we'll be, we're intended to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about what that might look like, the kind of life that one might Offer up as a sacrifice, a life of holiness, a life of faithfulness. I, I'd encourage you to go read First Peter. It's, it's a good book if you just need some motivation. It's like, do this, do this, do this, do this. Jesus is awesome. Think about Jesus. Consider his hope. And then do this, do this, do this. It's a lot of doing stuff. And here he pauses and he says, guys, guys, your life is intended to be a sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice that happens together. You guys are intended to be a, a, a holy priesthood. That happens together. There's something unique that happens when we worship God together. You know, I I play guitar sometimes, not around professionals. um, But I've at times worshipped God on my own. And it's, it's nice, it's special, it's wonderful. It's for me. But there's something that God, in his providence, most often, I think, decides to do when the people of God offer sacrifices of praise. There's something unique that happens when the worship team is up here, and it's not just because because the team is just killing it and someone is just beating those drums, and it's awesome. I mean, it is awesome, but there's something about us us in agreement saying, God, you're amazing. It's not just my voice saying, God, you're amazing. It's not just your voice saying, we become a bigger voice saying, God, you're amazing. I remember uh, when I was, just graduated high school, Uh, my mom's Korean and and she was connected to a Korean church and they were connected to a Chinese church in Raleigh, North Carolina and they said, hey, do you guys know of anyone who plays guitar, speaks English and knows about computers? And I'm a bigger nerd who plays guitar, speaks English because I'm American um, and, and does nerdy stuff on computers. So I was like, well, if that's not the hand of God, I don't know what is. So, I went to China. Boom, and it was amazing. Taught English, played guitar, fixed computers. I mean, they were pretty accurate job description. Um, but I remember these two instances of worship that struck me. The one was one of the first days that we got there. Uh, our host he brought us to their their office. They had they had a front. A, a a business that they did. I mean legitimate work, you know, they weren't laundering money or anything. They were doing real work, but it was it was what allowed them, you know, you wouldn't come in and say, "Hey, I'm Bill the missionary." No, you'd say, "Hey, I'm, you know, the office supply guy or whatever." And and we went to the we went there and around a, you know, a, like a conference table, we prayed and we sang. And you know what there was no um Darby wasn't there. We should have called him. Um, but uh it, it was acapella, and it was a bunch of us, you know, probably people who might otherwise have just been in the audience, but it was like six of us, and, and we, we sang, you know, uh, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice, or something like that, to word, yeah, it's just, and it was old. Um, but it was amazing, and we had to sing quietly, because we didn't want to hear, we didn't want people hearing us worshiping God in communist China. And then I remember being at this boarding school for Christian Chinese kids who wanted to learn English, who were orphans, and who were being trained in the gospel. I mean, craziness. And it, it was, you know, dirt floors. We had, like, we had the shower, which was nice. Um, we had the, the regular Western toilet. They had a, a giant, like, trough thing that we didn't partake in. I mean, it was, it was low-tech. And I remember waking up, because they got up at five in the morning, because this is a Korean church, and that was what they did, and they were running it. And so I was up there, and I walk into this cement-floored room, and they are on their knees wailing. And you know you you might say well maybe it's the jet lag or it's the tiredness or it's the but i just wept but there was something in that moment about seeing their earnestness their desire for god their pursuit of his presence together that that shifted the way i thought about worship when we are together family amazing things happen See, our faith is not—it's not, it's not a, a, a private faith. I'm, 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 hoping that we'll talk about that more. It's not—it's a, a personal faith. You can't—you can't believe for your friend, and you, your friend can't believe for you. You can't say, "I trust in Jesus Christ," so I want my my kids to to go to heaven. No, they have to trust in Jesus Christ. You can't say, "Well, I, I want to—you know—I'm going to get baptized for the sake of my—you know—my coworkers." No, you can't do that. It's a personal faith, but it isn't a private faith. It's not a private faith. It, it, it's, it's a corporate faith. It, it's intended. You know, I want to talk about a, a group that really has changed the face of, I mean, I don't know how much will be said about the Ninja Turtles, but they're pretty important. <laughs> and, and you've got, you've got Leonardo, our, our fearless leader in blue, Donatello, our faithful technician, turning turning a you know a VW van into a pizza wielding, you know, war machine. Got Raphael just struggling with existential angst, wondering why am I here? Which is a good question if you're a ninja turtle mutant. That's a great question. And then you got Michelangelo, just keeping it cool, relaxed, just hanging out with his nunchucks. And there's four of them. And if you lose, if you lose Leonardo, they just become listless. They don't they don't have any purpose, no drive, the leader's gone. I mean the teen, the teenagers, they didn't they, they didn't come come up when when we had Call of Duty, which is good because nothing would have been saved. They would just been playing video games. Donatello, if he wasn't there, they 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 wouldn't be able to do anything. Because all they have is ancient Japanese um, Weapons, which are great, but, you know, bullets are pretty effective as well. Uh, so they needed his technician, his, his skill set. You, you got Raphael, and, and he really brought a, a depth of reality to them. They, they needed that grounding. And then Michelangelo, if you didn't have Michelangelo, they just would have all been sad. Each one brought something unique to the whole. And that is a ridiculous thing to celebrate. But it illustrates for me, I think well the point that, that we all have something to bring to the table. Yeah, yeah, and when, when you're not here, when you're not here, we lack. When, when I'm not here, I, I don't have the, the privilege of bringing what God has given me to this group. When you're not here, we don't have the privilege of experiencing what God has for us through you. God is making us into his spiritual house. He's made us a people, a, a, a royal priesthood, Peter will up, later go on to say, who are giving up sacrifices of praise. And, and certainly there are, there are times and seasons of life where that is a, a, a solitary thing. But by and large, God has called us to be together. Why do we gather why do we got Because that's how God intended it. And one day, one day we're going to be all around this table at, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the end has come, and yet it's not the end. And we're going to celebrate forever the victory of Christ, his salvation in our life, how he crushed all of the enemies and how we get to now experience the one thing that we were all intended to experience for all of eternity, the presence and the power of our God and creator. Together. That's what we are made to do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that, that you don't just leave this to, to one or, or, or another of us that you don't just make this a, a private thing, but you call us to, to fellowship and relationship. And I pray that you would, you would help us to be willing to take part in together, even if that means overcoming fears, overcoming offense, overcoming concerns. God, I pray that we would embrace together, that we would embrace being a spiritual house, a priesthood. Not a bunch of little priesthoods, not a bunch of little houses, but a priesthood. God, I pray that as we gather together that we would be able to experience your unique grace that you give to those who participate in life together. You know, if if you've never experienced this because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the first things that we need to recognize is that we are all separated from God. And part of the way this, that God draws us together is by overcoming our sin. You know, the Bible says that we are sinners and because of that there is, a, there is a punishment that is due to us. But Jesus Christ, God, became man, living a perfect life that you and I should have lived, dying the death that we deserve, rising again on the third day and offering eternal life to anyone who would turn away from their own ability or attempts to, to make themselves right before God and would trust in him. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and you'd like to trust in him as your Lord and Savior today, I want you just to raise your hand. If you're online, you can press the button and let one of our hosts know. And just pray this prayer. God, I, I turn away from everything I know to be sin, everything I know to be disobedience to what you want me to do and how you want me to live. And I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in what you accomplish on the cross and I trust in what, what future you have for me. Help me to live that life. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.